The views expressed in this interview are those of the individuals and do not reflect the official policy or position of the U.S. government, the Department of Defense, the U.S. Navy, or the Naval Postgraduate School. Welcome to the Trident Room, brewer of stout conversation, unfiltered and on tap. On today's episode, we have the first woman to lead a Marine combat unit, Lieutenant Colonel Michelle McCander. I don't know if you've ever Googled yourself, but in preparing for this interview, I did Google you. Uh, just rank and name, and the first nine hits are just about you, and, or either talking about you taking command or leaving command or in command. The tenth hit was your promotion, Mar Admin, so I don't know if that really counts. And then on the third page, there is finally an article about the second female to complete IOC, and it still mentions you um, in the article. So for frame of reference, um, my name finds me a yoga master, a random doctor, uh, LinkedIn accounts, but not my own LinkedIn accounts. And there's a book series where there's a Michael Gannon that is the uh, main uh, character that I've never heard of, but it exists and it's for sale on Amazon. Um, you know, and some background investigation sites if you want to investigate me. Um, it, it's kind of interesting, but most people have to work really hard to find themselves on the internet, and you have a couple pages dedicated to yourself. I did not Google myself for this interview, but I do know that there are a few articles about me from my time in command, and my name seems to be brought up every time another barrier is broken by a female on the ring, which I think is pretty awesome. I also think my name is pretty unique. I've never met another McCander in the military, so I'll start in the beginning. So, uh, born and raised in upstate New York, in a suburb of uh, Albany, New York, called Clifton Park. Um, I grew up with five brothers and sisters and two amazing parents, and I lived in the same house until the day that I graduated high school. Every McCander ran cross-country and outdoor track, and then half of us kind of split between cross-country skiing and, and indoor track. And I was a skier. And I was much better at that than I was at running, but I really didn't like the cold. So when it came time to go to college, I picked warm over cold and decided uh, to go to Georgia Tech. And college in my family was really always the plan. My dad is a PhD chemist and my mom is a physicist. And so education was always something that was important to them. And, and they saved from when we were babies that every single one of the six kids was going to go to college. And, and they did that. Um, so I went there as a chemical engineering major, and then I did switch just because it was it was going to take a little bit too long to get my degree. And you know, by that point, after two years, I knew I wanted to be a marine. But I'll back up a little bit because um, I didn't join ROTC at first. I didn't really do it until the end of my freshman year, and this was my grades were still going really well. I was a walk on on the, the cross country and track team. Um, and at the end of the year, I kind of pushed around and said I had a little bit of extra time. So I talked to one of my friends on the track team who was a Marine option midshipman, and she made the introduction to the Marine officer instructor for me. Um, and I just went in there into the office of Captain Potter to just kind of gather intel. But I, I, I don't know. I think I blacked out for the entire time. And I don't know what he told me, but I remember I was in uniform in less than a week standing in inspection. And it was like, just take two steps forward, put your left arm up and look to the right. And that's all they told me. But um, it was a natural fit for me, and I never really looked back. Uh, I loved everything about the Marine Corps program, and, and I knew from that point on that, that I wanted to be a Marine. So I always had an interest in serving in the military, but I didn't really know a lot about the Marine Corps, which is kind of funny, because my father served in the reserves. My uncle was a Marine in Vietnam, 
and my grandfather served in World War II. But growing up, they just didn't talk much about it. So I, I came to it actually really on my own, which I think is probably the best way to do that. And I think most of that was because I was attracted to the challenge of being a Marine, because it is the toughest service. So I graduated college in December of 2000. Like you said, I was an international affairs major and then started TBS in January of 2001. And at that point, I really wanted to be an intelligence officer. Uh, but a few months into TBS, and we went to the demo range, and it was freezing cold and miserable. And we had to take our gloves off to, to you know, handle the C4. But there was just no going back for me. I loved it. I loved everything about the demolition side of it. Um, so it was my first choice at TBS, and very happily, uh, I did get my first choice. And so now let's fast forward 20 years. <laughs> and I've served in all three mess and in every element of the MACTAP, as well as uh, spent significant parts of my career in education. I was a lean officer instructor. Um, I served for a few years at the Marine Corps Engineer School and also as a faculty advisor at uh, Expeditionary Warfare School. So I remember when I was a young lieutenant, I had a mentor that told me, no matter how long you stay in the Marine Corps, your career will always fit on the back of a cocktail napkin. And it was right. It's true. Like that's that is a twenty year career that I just described to you. Um, he, I think, he actually had to retire from the Marine Corps when he hit age limitations. So, and even after all of that, his still fit on the back of a napkin. Um, so even after all these years, I'm still a run, which I think has served as an amazing stress reliever throughout my entire career. Um, I used to do ultra marathons. I'm trying to get back into that, but. I had to kind of knock down the mileage when I was in command, and I've been slowly building that back up again. Um, I've been married for almost six years to an amazing woman, Julie, and pretty happy to have her as my partner in this Marine Corps journey. So I think that's mostly me. What do your father, grandpa, and uncle think of all your accomplishments? They're really proud of me. Um, unfortunately, my grandfather passed, but um, he was like he was. He was injured in um, on Saipan, so he, you know, he was in the thick of it in the island hopping campaign during World War II, and he had a lot of, you know, emotional experiences during his time there. He very nearly died. Um, spent a lot of time in recovery in Hawaii before he, he got to come home and marry a sweetheart. So I'm glad he lived because my mom hadn't been born yet, but. He never talked about his time in the Marine Corps until the day I became a Marine. And then, like, the floodgates started opening up, and my mom, you know, just sat there and said, I haven't heard these stories in 60 years. But he wanted to talk about it. He just wanted to talk about it with the Marine, which was really cool. Um, and he suffered from uh, COPD later in life. And I would go visit him in the hospital, and he'd, you know, bark at the nurse to stand in attention to the captain was there. It was really sweet. He was really, really proud. And, and my dad is too. Um, and my uncle's out in San Diego. So when I was in command, he actually got to come up to the change of commands. Uh, my dad was there too. Um, and my uncle was really funny. Because he was old salty Vietnam era vet. And, you know, I, I finished my change of command ceremony. And I was, you know, saying thank you to everyone that was out there. And he just kind of elbows me in the side. And he says, Marines have a lot more than in my time. <laughs> But uh, he was, he was always really, the whole family has been very supportive about this. That's great to hear. Sorry about your, uh, uh, your grandparents. 
or your your grandfather. Um, no, I had the same experience with my grandfather. Uh, he couldn't make it to my boot camp graduation, um, but I I flew out and visited him when he was in hospice care and everything. And uh, you know, World War Two Marines didn't uh, have civilian attire. He wore his uniform his entire time. Um, so I was in Bravos the entire time, every time I would go and visit him, uh, mm-hmm. at hospice every day because Marines didn't wear civilian clothes. Um, and he was very adamant that that had not yeah. changed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so because ironically, when his son, my father, uh, was in the Marine Corps, it, my dad kept his, uh, change of civilian clothes at a, uh, Greyhound station in a locker, um, and he would change out of his alphas in, in a public bathroom and then sneak off on a Greyhound um, to get oh, out of, great. you know, Camp Lejeune. You know, you're the first female commander. You're, you're openly gay, as you, as you said. You're married. And, and you've come in. You, you came in in 2000. So Don't Ask, Don't Tell was in effect. Um, you're, you're coming in uh, through Georgia, um, ROTC command. So it's, you've, you know, you've gone through, you've gone through a lot of cultural and social changes throughout your career. How has that affected, you know, your willingness to stay? Yes, you came in, you did your first four, and then you're, you're seeing all the pushback or the cultural pushback or conversation that's going on among your peers, your, your subordinates, your leaders, you know, on the repeal of don't ask, don't tell. Um, and, and how that's going to affect readiness and how that's going to affect personnel. Um, you know, how's that, how's that go into your perception on, on retention and staying in an institution, um, at that at times because of statutory and legal obligations, um, won't allow you to, to live your life as, as who you are. Yeah, no, I think that's, a great question, because that is something that I definitely struggled with as a junior officer. I mean, half of my career. So everything changed in 2011. That was halfway through my time in the Marine Corps. And I had to hide who I was. And so, you know, when Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed, that was a big thing for me. I think I had kind of come to the acceptance before the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. that if that was the reason that I was kicked out of the military, then I was okay with that because it wasn't something that I was ashamed of, but I didn't want to go like that. You know, I wanted to go on my own terms. And so the fact that the the change finally did happen um, made me really happy. But when I was, I think my third tour, I was a Marine officer instructor and I, I went to that command thinking that that was going to be my segue into the civilian sector. Um, you know, when I was a freshman in college and I met Captain Potter, I was like, that's the job that I want to have. So that was the last job I wanted to have in the Marine Corps. I had done everything that I wanted to, but something happened during my time there and those meseps and midshipmen just motivated the hell out of me. And so they changed my mind. But a big part of my hesitation for sticking around was that I didn't want to have to stay positive. That's just, there really is no way to live life. Um, and so when it was repealed, that was just, it was huge for me, but it was still kind of inertia that I didn't change anything right away. And I remember I was at engineer school 
as a company commander, and there was a change of command that I attended, um, and one of the company commanders thanked her fiance, who was also a woman. And I remember vividly, like, looking around to see everybody's reaction, and apparently, I was the only one that was freaking out for this. So that had a profound impact on me, because, you know, like I said, the recourse steps out smartly. So we might have fought it on the way up, which was disheartening, but once it happens, the world didn't end, the Marine Corps didn't end, and we moved on. And really, for the most part, no one cared. So shortly after that, I started dating my wife, Julie, and realized that it was totally unfair of her to hide who I was because the Marine Corps was such an important part of my life. So she kind of came out to a Marine Corps ball, and that was my Marine Corps coming out party. And then I PCS uh, from there to Expeditionary Warfare School. And, you know, I was honest from that point, I always have been, that this is who I am as I'm coming aboard. So it's not, you know, a secret. It's I'm upfront so that there's no awkward conversations after the fact. And then um, Julie and I were there, and I was hailed at the EWS uh, hail and farewell. And Colonel Donovan at the time, General Donovan now, you know, announced that Julie and I had become engaged. And the whole staff and faculty were just amazing about it. And, you know, this was only a couple of years after the repeal, but it made it has made such a difference. My career has been so much better because of that. And the female integration is kind of the same thing. It's always, it's disappointing that that was the policy of the Marine Corps. It was disappointing that the Marine Corps fought it for what I thought were unfair reasons. Um, my big thing is always, you can tell me I'm too short, you can tell me I'm too weak, you can tell me I'm too dumb. But to tell me that I'm just too female to do something is absolute absurdity. So anyway, that's, that is my soapbox for that. But the female integration has been pretty awesome to watch. And there have been some bumps and bruises along the way, but I've been really happy and really pleased with what we have done. And now what I think is amazing is we have an entire generation of Marines who know nothing different and female Marines who see nothing but possibilities. And that was something that was very cool when I was in command because it was a big deal that I was commanding the battalion. But it was not a big deal that I had female lieutenants that were showing up. That to me, it was a huge deal because when I was going through engineer school, it wasn't an option. But for them, CEB is just one of several options when they graduate engineer school. The monitor signs in there, and uh, that was just such a cool thing to watch. So I think, you know, I'm optimistic at this point about the changes and how effectively we've executed them. But I don't think we're done. So there's still more work to be done. Yeah, no. I mean, we're a slow-moving organization. It'll take, you know, it took you 20 years. Um to get into command because it takes 20 years for us to grow a lieutenant colonel. Uh, it just okay. genuinely takes that long. So, you know, when, when people are asking when's there going to be a, a female, you know, infantry general, uh, I don't know, a couple decades at least. Like, why? Yeah, it takes 30 years to make a general, or at least well over 20. So, you know, my community was always going to be the first one in the GCE to get a battalion because we have colonels that are, you know, that grew up engineers, whereas, you know, the senior folks, and infantry and artillery, the senior females are just, they're captains right now. So, like I said, it's just going to take some time for anything other than engineers to, to get to the level of battalion command. But it's going to be really exciting to watch. This may be more of an anecdotal, um, you know, statement uh, describing my understanding or perception, but the Marine Corps is not known for being a very progressively forward edge 
you know, rapidly changing organization. While individually adaptive command maneuver warfare, we're, we're very flexible and adaptable and get things done. But we don't change uniforms. We don't change much if we can, but institutionally, we, we just sort of somewhat resist it. Yeah, I think the military can be very conservative, but there's a reason for that. It's that, you know, you don't follow whatever fad is out there that you make incremental changes so it doesn't impact your readiness. But I also have been super impressed with the Marine Corps over the course of my 20 years. I mean, look at how much has changed. I'm, you know, an openly gay woman serving in a command that's commanding a battalion that wasn't even allowed to serve in. So I think, and that's all within just a 20-year career. Um, so I think we are capable of change. Sometimes it has to be imposed externally, and that was the case for both of those. But I think the Marine Corps has been pretty good about stepping out smartly once that decision has been made. So, yeah, no. Um, and you've obviously been married for six years. So that that means you've also gone through and, and sort of watched the state um, that you lived in um, at the time go through the repeal or modification of how they interpreted marriage. Um, how has that been watching the Marine Corps? Cause it, it that's a, that's been a dynamic thing cause it's been changing and evolving uh, because marriage licenses are a state thing. Recognition for the DOD is a federal thing. How has that been navigated and watched and observed and um, as a process um, going forward? Yeah, um, so we got engaged, um, I think, I'm trying to remember my timing now, because we got engaged, uh, we were, I was stationed in Quantico at, at EWS, and we were living in Alexandria, so uh, it was in Virginia, which had allowed uh, same-sex marriage before it became federal mandate, um, but we were engaged and hadn't been married um, when it became federally mandated, that was the case, and that was amazing. Like we were in DC. I wish we had known that the White House was going to be lit up in in uh, rainbow colors. But we just sat on our soup and drank champagne and just kind of toasted the, the amazing changes that were happening. And that it's definitely something I acknowledged at my wedding was just how much change had happened. Um, and you know, I got married in my in my in my blues um, proudly and legally. It was just it was such an amazing experience. Yeah, no, that's awesome. You know, it, um, and dress blues always look good, so it works out. Yeah, they do. <laughs> you know, um, I I will I will say that is the one thing I am very glad the Marine Corps has been super ultra conservative on is our uniform policies. I have no idea what the Navy sailors or Army or Air Force are supposed to look like. They change suits every every few years. I I don't know if the movies are right or if the sailors wrong. I I have no idea. The Marine Corps dress blues have been the Marine Corps dress blues since we made that poster in World War II for, you know, uh, you know, collecting Christmas gifts. And we're not even changing the poster. Like we're reusing, reusing old posters. Like we're just not changing that. That is true with one exception. Female uniforms have changed and female dress blues have changed. Yes. Uh, I haven't done that yet. I'm required to do that. I think I've got another year or so, but, um, but the uniform that I was commissioned in and the uniform that I got married in, um, it, it will be outdated um, before too long. I, I am not sad that our bucket covers went away, but I actually really enjoyed 
uh, dress blues that I thought were very feminine and uh, looked different than the male uniforms, but that's okay. I was outvoted and <laughs> I, I've gotten to acceptance. I, I went through depression, uh, what, are, what is it, Daphne? Depression, anger, denial, anger, depression, uh, and bargaining, but I, I finally got to acceptance on that. Yeah, <laughs> the five stages of death for the uh, uniform. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No. So, so back to command and being the first. This is this is sort of an interesting thing. So, your command climate surveys came up in the news. Um, some of the people that actually filed complaints got quoted in the news. I won't requote any of those. Um, you know, any other male battalion commander, unless he gets relieved for cause and and um, it's sensationalized for that. Command climate surveys and complaints and IGs and everything else aren't discussed. No one knows, um, minus the division and the Marines themselves. Probably no one else cares, uh, really. Um, do you think that adversely sort of affects you and other females and other first, whatever the first may be, um, that their stuff sort of gets dragged out in, into the public forum and become, becomes part of the dialogue? Um, do you think that's sort of a... I guess an adverse effect or, or well, I think positive. there will always be, be folks that are looking for any type of misstep to kind of say, you know, I told you so. But uh, there's a lot of problems with that article that you are quoting. And people, like you said, you Googled me and it's out there. Um, but it was pretty much written without any form of uh, fact checking. So the, there were no issues with my command climate. The only, um, complaint that was ever issued. There were a series of complaints, but it was always uh, from the same person who was a civilian that I, that I had a fire. So, um, you know, it was basically reported that Marines were making complaints, but there was never a single complaint and I had very good command climate surveys. So that was a lot of, uh, that, that was just disappointing information that was actually put out into the public sphere. And I, I'm an NPR junkie and it really hurts my heart that they um, put that out there without really checking any facts before they published. They just, it looked um, like I think they were trying to just make a headline splash. And that's disappointing, but it is what it is. But, uh, you know, you can go ahead and read that and you can make your own determination of <laughs> what the truth is. But yeah, I do think that that is probably a result of of being a first or being a female, that there are going to be people that, that it is sensationalized if something were to happen. Yeah, and it's it's interesting that that no one goes through and does the uh, the traditional due diligence to make sure one they know what they're talking about, and two not you know just causing more problems than than they're uh, um, trying to solve. But maybe that's not the intent. Um, on all those things. But that's important. You talked about, you know, civil military relations. I think it's important that we reflect as much as possible the society in which we are drawn from. Um, so I think that is why there is such a focus on, on making sure that we're highlighting females that are doing great things and, you know, people of color that are doing great things in the military as well. And I think that's totally appropriate. Um, and that was something when I first took commands that, you know, I was kind of pulled aside and said, there's a lot of interest 
in this, we want you to be giving interviews and, uh, you know, kind of make you the face of this whole thing. And I, I was torn, but I really didn't want any of that. And I'll kind of explain why, but uh, I was lucky because General Smith and uh, General Pacelli were really supportive. I was honest when I, when I first got selected, I reached out to General Smith, who, you know, I'd be serving under and I kind of told him I didn't want a lot of media during the change of command. And I didn't want to do interviews until the end of my time there. Um, and I give them a lot of credit because, you know, I think they were probably giving some pressure to allow this good news story, but they really deferred to me on what I was comfortable with. Um, and really General Smith, you know, he, he said, I just, I just want you to do your job. Let me deal with everything else. So, um, I, I think I struggled because I knew that it, it was a good news story for the Marine Corps and for the DOD. And honestly, Second Lieutenant McCander would have loved to have been able to see a female commander in the division. But the way I kind of looked at it was I was selected to command first combat engineer battalion, not to be the first female anything. And so I worried that some of the coverage of the change of commands and, you know, kind of the media circus that might surround that would send a really bad message to my Marines and sailors and that I cared more about, you know, my place in Marine Corps history than I did about serving the battalion. And looking back, I think that was the right decision. Um, so I, I think because of uh, really awesome division staff that I worked with, I, I didn't have a lot of focus in the beginning. And then when I was kind of close to the relinquishing command, when I felt like I'd actually accomplished it, right, I, I reached out to division Comstrat and said I was good with getting interviews. And that's where, you know, most of what you saw in your Googling came from. Uh, you know, when I'd actually been a successful commander, then I wanted to show that women could succeed in these positions that hadn't previously been open to them. So, I mean, getting back to the original question, I think that's why it's important to put, you know, put information out there about what the military is truly like and having it reflect um, the diversity of the American public. Yeah, and, and it's a great opportunity. I mean, I'm a college dropout who uh, made plenty of bad decisions, and the Marine Corps was the, uh, hey, if you're not good at regulating your life and making decisions, we can send you to a summer camp that will make all the decisions for you. And then we will slowly ease you back into thinking um, independently for yourself. And it was a really good transition to adulting for me. Mm -hmm. And now look at you, working on, the, on your second master's, am I right? Yes, yeah, second master's, uh, you know, married 10 years, like have a 401k, you know, like adulting. My adulting game is there. I no longer live above a bar. But I do have a podcast that's named after a bar and is recorded in a bar. So not a lot has changed. Thanks for joining us in the Trident Room. This episode was recorded April 22nd, 2021. For more information about today's guests and topics, please visit the show notes. The Trident Room has been brought to you by the Naval Postgraduate School Alumni Association and Foundation. For questions, comments, and suggestions, please email us at tridentroompodcasthost at nps.edu and find us online at nps.edu slash tridentroom.